You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. Good to see you guys here today. Hey, what direction are you running today? That's a good question as we've been working our way through the life of Jonah. Uh, you might say, I'm not really a runner, Trent. I'm more of a sitter on a coucher kind of guy. Uh, but the, the reality is we're all running the race of life, so to speak. You know, we're all running in a certain direction. And I think it's important for us to evaluate what direction our life is running today and, and something that we f- should frequent throughout our life. And, you know, sometimes we don't know what direction we're actually running until we reach a destination that we really didn't intend to go to, you know? We didn't really want to end up here. And, and, and it's when we kind of have hindsight, we can look back at our life that we can kind of see, man, I, I didn't realize it, but I was, I was actually on that road and I was actually running in that direction the whole time. I mean, for instance, if you failed a class in college or something, it's like, you, you're blown away. Like, I can't believe it. I failed this. But when you look at the direction of your life, you were, you were running that way. You weren't going to class. You missed a few assignments, right? And so you're not surprised by that. Um, some, some people would say, man, I didn't end up, uh, I didn't want my marriage to end up in divorce. But when you look back at your life and you kind of see that, that the two of you were running in opposite directions, perhaps even away from God, like you can begin to see that. And, and so the hope is that we would have, you know, the, the wisdom to see and understand what direction we're running today. I mean, Jonah certainly did not uh, expect to end up in the, the belly of a great fish. You know, he, he didn't intend to go there. However, his denial of God's will for his life and his rejection of that, and he decided to run in the exact opposite direction, led him to that destination. And so we want to understand like what Jonah went through and and we want to understand how we can prevent ourselves from this. I mean, I know in my own personal life, there were times where I just flat out ran from God's will. I just ran from what God wanted me to do and I just did what Trent wanted to do. To do, and it took me to some very dark, lonely places. I mean, perhaps you walk in today and you're kind of, you know, feeling that. I mean, if you were honest, you you would probably ad- maybe admit that you're running from God. And there's some sin in your life that you keep running to, and you're denying what God wants to do in your life. And as a result, you walk in here today, and and and, and honestly, you kind of feel that loneliness, that darkness. I mean, Jonah certainly felt hungry, lonely, and Obviously, he was smelly at that point, too. I mean, he was in the belly of a fish. And so, so what direction are you running today? What direction is your life actually running towards? Are you running with God? Are you running away from God? As we're going to see today, and this is my hope, that we would, we would recognize if we're running from God, and like Jonah, begin to run with him, because when we run with God, then and only then do we experience the power of God in and through our life. Uh, about eight years ago, my parents took my entire family to Disney World. And uh, I've got three kids, one boy. And if you know anything about Disney World, you know that it's really all about princesses. And so uh, we show up and all my girls were dressed in their little, you know, Cinderella outfits. And we had uh, breakfast with the princesses. We're taking pictures with the princesses. And then, you know, most of the rides there have to do with princesses as well. And so my then four-year-old son, he's had enough, right? He's, he's done with the princesses and he wanted to go to what he called the boy ride. I want to go 
to the boy ride, you know? And so we're like, okay, 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 we, we need to go. And so we started to head towards the Peter Pan ride and um, we had what, you know, the fast pass. If you don't know what the fast pass is, you don't have to wait in line. You go and you punch in your number and you get a ticket and it tells you when to come back so that you can avoid the line and go at a certain time, right? So as we're walking to the boy ride, I'm looking at my fast pass and I'm like, oh man, we're too early. We can't go. So what are we going to do? Let's, let's, let's waste some time. We need to go somewhere else until we can go to the Peter Pan ride. Well, right across from the Peter Pan ride is It's a Small World, right? How many It's a Small World fans? How many of you would say It's a Small World is a little creepy? It's a little creepy. Okay, see how many people. Yeah, it's a little creepy. I'll be honest with you. But, but you know, we need to do it, spend some time. And when you go to Disney World, you got to go to It's a Small World, right? I guess it's just a thing you got to do. So we get in line, right? There's like 15, 16 of us, and we're standing in line. And all of a sudden, my wife goes, oh, where's Bryson? And immediately, he is not there. Now, how many parents in the room have ever lost a son or daughter, like at the mall or somewhere? Immediately when that happens, fear sets in, Right? You are freaking out. My wife goes into what you guys call and what I've called mama bear mode, right? Mama bear mode is I'm going to find my child, get out of my way, claws are coming out, right? Dad's kind of kick into what I call primal dad mode. Like we go to like the very primal instincts of a human being, like protect, provide, shoot first, ask questions later. We're going to find our kids, right? And so here we are, whole families looking for Bryson, and so we are frantically, you know, we, we're, we're stressed, we're, 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 we're everywhere, our hearts are sinking, and we're, we're running around like crazy people trying to find our son. Well, my wife, who is good at finding everything, finds Bryson, and guess where he's at? The Peter Pan ride. He's not crying, he's not upset, in fact, he's just chilling, and he's just enamored with the Peter Pan ride entrance and the excitement that he is going to enjoy when he rides it. He doesn't know where we are. He doesn't care. He's just sitting there with the Peter Pan ride. Well, we get in, we scoop him up, and we're just like, oh, thank you, God. And, you know, we're all stressed and coming down. And, but here's the, here's the deal. Like, God is not, like, frantically, like, mama bear mode or primal mode, dad, like, looking for us and, and, and worried, oh, God, what's going to happen? Help me, help me. But in the same way that a mom and dad would seek and pursue their son or their daughter when they are lost, God is pursuing his children passionately, compassionately, with intentionality, with with joy, and, and with focus, and with a sense of urgency. When we lose our son or our daughter in the shopping mall or wherever, We have a sense of urgency about our life, don't we? We are on a mission. We are going to find our kids. We are after them. That's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that we're doing. In much the same way, God is urgently seeking and pursuing his children out of love. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah goes in the exact opposite direction. He runs from him. And out of love, God sends a fish to swallow him up. Right? So God is pursuing him with a fish. Why? Because God is a God of love. And he is pursuing us not because he needs us. I'm not chasing after and looking for my son because, you know, uh, he or, 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 or I need him to do something for me as a dad. I'm not finding him because I need him to do something for me. I am finding him because he desperately needs me in his life. And in the same way, 
We, we, are, we are lost, we're enamored with the world, and God comes after you. God pursues you. God seeks after you. And I believe that this really is the theme of the entire Bible. Like when you look at the word of God, you see that it is God who is pursuing his people. God who is intentionally going after his people. That, that's the message and theme of the Bible. Every other religion that you study, when you get to the core of it, every other religion says that you have to go pursue God. You have to go and find God. But our God pursues and seeks us. This is unbelievably a measure of God's grace in our life. And so God uses angels in the Old Testament. Sometimes he uses loud voices. He uses all kinds of things to declare his message. Primarily in the New Testament, the way that God communicates and finds his lost children is he sends found children to go seek lost children. And that's what we see in the story of Jonah. We see God calling his prophet Jonah to go and to seek after his lost children. And we see Jonah neglecting this. And, and we look at Jonah's life and we say, come on, bro. Like, dude, go, go, go do what God told you to do. Why wouldn't you just go? But, but here's the reality. Oftentimes, we love mercy for ourselves, but we're reluctant to share it with other people. We love mercy for ourselves, but we're reluctant to share that same mercy with other people. Think about it for a minute. I want people to forgive me, but when you offend me, I'm not so quick to forgive. I think I'm going to hold it over your head for a little while, make you feel bad, little guilt, little shame. We love for people to forget when we blow it, when we mess up. Just forget about that thing. Please don't, you know, don't bring it up anymore. It's in the past. I asked for forgiveness. Don't bring it up anymore. And yet we are quick to bring up old things in our life that somebody did to us and use it against them. Why? We love mercy and grace for ourselves, not so willing to share it with other people. We're really busy, God. I'd love to share your grace. I would love to share your, your, your gospel message. I would love to share your love with other people, but I'm just really busy, God. Like work, whew. It's really busy. And my kids, they like, they have sports and school. Man, it's just really, God, when it comes down, I'll be more willing to share your love with other people. But until then, it's just kind of busy. And then we get to the not so busy parts of our life. And then it's like, well, I got to go on vacation. God, we're just so tired from the busyness. And, and so when I go on vacation, we'll unwind. And then when we get back, then maybe we'll engage in, in church and get more involved or, or get more engaged in serving or sharing your love. We're really super passionate about people forgiving us, showing us grace, showing us mercy, but we're pretty reluctant to share it with other people. So the reality is Jonah was the obstacle at this point, Jonah was the obstacle to what God wanted to do. Perhaps you are the obstacle. God, help us. God, help us if this is the case. Perhaps you are the obstacle in the way of somebody else coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We began two weeks ago with this story, and we see God telling Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach. And Jonah doesn't want to go. The city of Nineveh is a very evil city. A lot of scholars believe it's Mosul, Iraq. So these are the great, 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 great grandfathers of Al-Qaeda and ISIS. These were bad dudes, evil city. They were pillaging, 
raping and taking advantage of, terrorizing the Israelite people. So when we, when we see the mass amounts of people that they, the, the, they were called Assyrians were providing and doing to the Israelite people, and then God calls Jonah to go and preach to them, you can kind of understand why he was a little reluctant. You can understand why he's a little racist and a little prejudiced at this point, right? I mean, just imagine if you have a loved one who died in the 9-11 attacks, and then God said, I want you to go to Iraq and plant a church. Little hesitation there, right? And yet, we come back to that point. We want mercy, we want grace, we want to experience it. We're very reluctant to share that grace with other people. We need to be aware of that. Jonah runs. As he runs, he jumps on a boat, goes in the opposite direction. God sends a great storm. The pagan sailors on the boat are afraid. Jonah's in the boat asleep. They wake him up. They say, Who, which one of you guys offended your God because of this storm is here? Somebody messed with their God. They cast lots. It falls on Jonah. Jonah says, I'm the one that this is, storm is about. I'm running from my God. Throw me over into the water. What's interesting is that the pagan sailors show him mercy at that point, and they don't throw him over immediately. They start throwing other things off the boat, but then eventually it's not working. It's, the storm's not going away, so they throw Jonah into the ocean, into the sea, seemingly to die, but then God sends a great fish to swallow him up. He lives in the belly of this fish for three days, and at the end of chapter two, we see the fish going to the shore, vomiting Jonah up. And so we find a hungry, because he hasn't eaten in three days, thirsty, uh, smelly. <laughs> he had to smell really bad. He's got fish vomit all over him. And now he's walking reluctantly to the city that God has called him to serve and to preach. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Jonah chapter 3 or your app. If you've got your Bible to find Jonah, go to Matthew, take a left, and then when you get to Micah, slow down. Jonah's right there. That's kind of the easiest way to find Jonah. We're going to look at chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the what? Second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. That means it took three days to walk across the city. That's how huge and massive the city was. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth for the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, you can keep your Bibles open. We'll come back to this in just a moment and read the rest of the story. But God comes to Jonah a second time. Now, we have millions and millions and millions of excuses why we can't serve God. God is calling us to go and make disciples today. And we have a million excuses. I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm too busy. I'm not that good. I've got sin in my own life. I'm not prepared. Whatever it is, we have a million and million, uh, millions and millions of excuses and yet God comes a second time and offers Jonah a second chance. This is, this is good stuff. This is good news. So we serve a God of second chances. 
When you read the Bible, you see over and over again God giving multiple chances to individuals he's calling and asking to lead. You look at the life of Moses. Moses murders a man, and yet God gives him a second chance and and uses him to lead the people. God calls Elijah to do great things, and he does great things, and he gets really depressed and sidetracked and and emotionally doesn't want to do it anymore. But God reinstates him and, and gives him a second chance. We see this over and over again, the life of Peter. Peter denies Jesus three different times, and instead of just writing him off and saying, I'm done with you, man, he reinstates Peter, and he gives him a second chance. You see, we serve a God of a second chance. Today, God offers you a second chance. You see, the truth is, he's probably given you millions of chances. We could all compare how many chances God has given to us today, but the reality is, it's not how many chances has God given to you. The real question that you want to wrestle with is, am I taking advantage of the opportunity that he has given to me today? You see, over and over again, God gives us second chances. He provides a second chance to you today. You might be far from God. You might be running from God. Won't you today say, you know what? I'm tired of running my way. I'm tired of running the direction that I think is right. I want to run with God. I want to run toward God because anytime we run away from God, it leads to those dark, lonely, smelly places. God would call you to turn from sin today to run with him. When, when God's people run with God's message, lives are changed. And that's what God's calling us to today. He's giving you another chance today. You walk in here today and you say, Trent, you don't know what sin I've done. You don't know what I'm dealing with today. I'm, I'm, I'm a bad dude or I've gone through some rough times. And I, I, I might affirm that. We all would say, yep, bad stuff, but no sin is too great for God to forgive today. There's no, not one person in this room who is too far from God or has run too far away from God that he cannot forgive and restore today. And I believe the fact that you're here today is evidence that God is pursuing you. It's evidence that God loves you and he's pursued you. Somebody invited you. You woke up and, 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 and you said, you know what? We've tried everything else. Let's try church. And, and, and so maybe you're here. And as a result, I would say God is pursuing you. He wants you to hear this message today. God gives Jonah a second chance. God's given you a second chance. But the reality is we all know that opportunities and chances will be over at some point. God will call your life to end or Jesus will return. One of the two things will happen and no more opportunities will be given. So if you're If you're the person that says, you know what, when I get things figured out, then I'm going to get involved in church or when I get married or when I get through school or when I get that new job, there's always that next thing. Whenever that happens, then I'll get right with God. If that's you, you're playing with fire. God gives you the opportunity today, but we never know when those opportunities will be extinguished. God gives Jonah a second chance. Now listen, how many times does it take for, for you to tell your kids to go clean their room before they actually clean their room? My children, every time I say clean the room, they run upstairs and they clean it. <laughs> Anybody in the room that would say that? Like, I want to know you and take you out to dinner. I want to learn from you. No, I mean, when we, when, when we start that habit as kids, like it takes a few reps, right? We, we tell them, we have to tell them again, we have to remind them again, and then perhaps we have to discipline them because they didn't. And it's a process, right? It's a journey. Here's the deal. God's willing to have the conversation with you over and over and over again. The problem is, 
I would caution you at expecting that grace any longer than what you have right before you. See, God is a God that wants to have that conversation, but those opportunities will run out. Won't you take advantage of it today and say yes to God today? Jonah takes advantage. He repents in the belly of the well, and now he finally goes and he preaches this incredible sermon. I'm being sarcastic. Look at this sermon that he preaches to the people. Look at verse four. He goes into the city, goes a day's journey, and he calls out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. See you guys. And he leaves. I mean, this is not very encouraging, not very hopeful. What kind of sermon is this? Like, like essentially it's, you guys better get right or you're gonna burn. And then he leaves. Like it's, it's almost like he doesn't want them to get it. He doesn't want them to say yes to God. It's that bad of a sermon. And yet 120,000 people, the whole city turns and trusts in God, turn from their sin, turn to God. In the Hebrew language, it's actually five words. It's a five-word sermon. I was telling my kids about this five-word sermon. I was, I was blown away. I was like, man, look at this. This is a five-word sermon. And my 14-year-old bratty little teenage uh, sarcastic girl said, hey, dad, Maybe you should try that five-word sermon. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Maybe you should pay for your own cell phone. How about that? <laughs> Get some of that. Uh, and so, no, but this is incredible when you think about it. Like, how in the world does this short five-word sermon actually work? Well, it works because God is responsible for saving people, not you. <laughs> God is responsible for saving people, not you. I know that's a newsflash for some of you. You're like, oh, Trent, we know that. God's in control. I can't save people. That's obviously God. Well, then why do you live your life as if you are in control of that? Why do you live your life as if you are responsible for saving people? Because I hear all the time, Trent, I would talk about my faith, but I don't have enough of the Bible memorized. I don't know enough about the Bible. I, I, I'm, I've got sin in my own life. I've got this. I've got that. Excuses, all these things, as if Salvation depended upon how much of the Bible you know or how much of your life you've got right with God. Jonah is, I mean, he's, he's finally like doing the thing that God has called him to, but, he, but he's not doing it with the pure motivation yet. We're gonna see that next week. Yet God uses him. Why? Because God is the one that saves. Paul says in, in Romans chapter one that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The reality is, like, it's not how eloquent my sermon is, how great of a speaker I might be. It's not about me at all. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that anoints the Word of God and, and anoints the sermon that God gives to His spokesman. And it's His strength, it's His power that saves and does work. I don't take credit. I can't take credit. You can't take credit. I'm, I'm not offended if, 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 if I preach and, and nobody accepts Christ. You're not rejecting me, you're rejecting God. But so often we live our life as if, well, if I talk about my faith, if I talk about the gospel, if I invite people to church and they say no, like I'm gonna feel rejected. They're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting you at all. They're rejecting God. So we've got to take ourselves out of the equation. We've got, to, we've got to quit pretending that it's about us or, or it's about my eloquence or what I'm going to do. It's not. God is the one that saves. But what he does is he calls the unqualified, the not yet figured it out guy who says, yeah, I'm going to run with you, God. 
And so God's people coupled with God's message equals life change. And this is what Jonah is seeing. This is what is happening in Jonah's life. This is what God wants to do. Now, I was at the dentist um, the other day, and um, you know how when the dentist um, asks you a question and then they immediately put sharp objects into your mouth? <laughs> you know, you're like, hey, how's your family doing? <laughs> you know, you can't even talk. Like the, the person next to me, this girl, um, she was asked that very question. And before they could get the sharp object in, she went into this like story. She was talking about how, you know, she had lost her job and then, you know, they didn't know how they were going to do this and do that. And then they decided to sell their house. God sold their house quickly. And then, and then they found this house that they never could have afforded. Um, and, and, and somebody drops the ball somewhere and something happened on an appraisal, blah, blah, blah. They got this great house and she got this new job. And she tells this whole story. And the, and the girl that was working there said, go Jesus. Only God could do that. And I wanted to get up and get my Bible and say, James, get out here and sing. We're going to have a service right here in the dentist's office. Yeah, we want, I was ready to preach, right? But the reality is what stuck with me is only God can do that. Only God can do that. I wonder, if, is there anything in the last year that's happened in your life that you would say, only God can do that. Only God can do that. You see, if, if, if you're scraping and scratching for stories there, then perhaps you're not running with God. Because when God's people run with God's message, lives are changed. Only God can do that. See, only God can use a, a five-word sermon and save and change a nation like this. This would, this would be like the king of Saudi Arabia, you know, saying, yeah, repenting of sin and turning to Jesus today and then telling the whole country that they have to, you know, follow Jesus. This was a huge deal. This is the power of God's spirit. Hebrews 4.12 says it really well. You're probably familiar with this. It says this, for the word of God is alive and active. Folks, the word of God is alive. It is, it is active in our life. This is the very word of God. Everybody wants God to speak, you know. God, tell me what to do. I want a sign. Don't pray for signs. Read your Bible. Remember, we want to look in the clouds and see words appear. We want to see things. We want God to audibly speak to us. He has spoken. This book is alive. It is active. The scripture says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Folks, the word of God God is what transforms people's lives. This is why we want you to bring people to church. This is why we want you to read your Bible. This is why we want you to share the message of the Bible with people. Because it's not about your eloquence and your power. It's about what God wants to do through you, through his word, his spoken, living, and active word. This is why we want you to read your Bible. We see this all throughout scripture. We talk about this, we, we say, you know what, we want you to invite people to church. One of the main reasons for that is because the word can't do its work where people haven't heard it. And so we want to bring people into an environment where they hear the word of God. We want you to have conversations with people about your faith. Talk about your story. Talk about what Jesus is doing in your life. Talk about your church and invest in relationships. You say, they're not like me, they're different. Invest in those relationships. And then invite them to come to church. 
This is huge. This is, this is something that we challenge you to do over and over and over again. And, and Easter is three weeks away. So we've, we've given you invite cards today as you leave. They're at every door. Invite people to come to Easter. Invite people to be under the word of God. Invite people to have them um, in the presence of the preaching of God's word where God's spirit can transform their life. Last week, we handed out cards. They're in your chair today. If you weren't here last week, the card has three blanks. And what we're asking you to do is to write down three names and begin to pray for those people and invite them to Easter. Five different services. This is an opportunity for you to get involved, run with God and his message, and be a part of someone's life being changed. Now listen, you need to know what it feels like to come into church with a friend who is unchurched and sit beside you and feel the the tension and the excitement and the hope that Trent's gonna do an okay job. (laughs) Like, don't mess up, Trent. Don't be dumb today. Don't be dumb today. Please, Jesus. You know, seriously though, you need to experience the excitement of that. You need to know what that feels like. Um, When I go see movies uh, with my friends, I like to go see movies late at night because I don't want to go see a movie with any of you guys there. I'm just be honest. Like, I want to go with nobody there, because I want, if I'm with, with friends, I want a man space, an empty seat in between us. I don't want to be near them. I want to kick my feet up. I don't hear anybody talking. Oh, yeah, that's the killer. I think he did it. No, I don't want to hear any of that. I want it to be quiet. I just, you know, that's how I, I like it to be empty. It's just me. Now, we don't like God's church to be empty, <laughs> Like if the, if the church is empty and there are a lot of empty seats, we got a problem. In fact, the, uh, the Bible says this in Luke chapter 14, verse 23. This is Jesus. He says, go out into the main streets and compel people to come in that my house may be full. God wants his church to be full. And in order for God's church to be full, God's people have to invest in relationships and invite them to come to church. It's just part of it. It's just part of what it looks like. Now, some of you are like, man, I don't know what to say. I don't know, I'm I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable in this realm. And so I I wrote down a few things that I read recently that I think are really, really helpful. There are like clues that if you'll begin to train your your brain towards these, what what are called the three knots, N-O-T-S, if you'll begin to train your brain and you are having normal conversations with people, as as you hear these three knots come up in conversation, then instantly you should begin to invest in them and to invite them to church. Here they are. The first knot is when somebody says things are not going well. So you're talking about sports. You're talking about how your bracket's been busted, right? How, how you can't believe Florida, got, Florida won the other night. And you're talking basketball, right? And then you start asking questions like, well, how's your family? How's work? And you hear them say something to the effect, well, man, it's not going too well. <gasps> Boom, there it was. Not going well. Well, let me tell you something, man. You should come to our church. Things aren't going well in your family. Let me tell you something. Our pastor talks about marriage and family all the time. He talks about it from the word of God. And if I didn't have that, and if I wasn't in my small group, and, and, and I didn't have other you know, godly people around me who are parents or who have figured out marriage and, 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 and them speaking into my life and me listening to them, I don't know where we'd be. You should come to my church, man. It could change your life. It's the first knot, not going well. Not going well at work, not going well at home. I'm gonna invite them to church. The second knot is they're not prepared. You hear something to the effect of, I'm about to get married. Now anybody who's about to get married is not prepared. (laughs) 
I don't care what book you read. I don't care how many days of counseling you had. When you put a ring on that finger and say, I do, it just changes. And we don't know why or how. It just does, right? So they're not prepared. And maybe they're newlyweds. And they're like, man, we're, you know, the first year was good. But man, things are just really tough right now. We weren't prepared for this. Immediately, boom. Let me tell you something. Our church is awesome. We went through this series. Matter of fact, we're going through a series right after Easter about marriage and romance. And you should come. It's not, we're not prepared because we're about to have a baby, right? Anybody that's about to have a baby or anybody that's about to have a second or third baby, you're not prepared for that. It changes things, right? When those selfish little creatures come into your life, things change, right? We love them. We love them. But they change everything about life. They're not prepared. So we weren't prepared for this, man. It's up all night. First six weeks were great. Like they were sleeping and now they're awake. And Let me just tell you something. You should come to our church because our church actually partners with parents. We have small group leaders that will connect with you and be in a relationship with you and talk about your kids and encourage your kids and they'll give you resources so that when you leave church, you're gonna know how to have conversations that further that conversation. And you're gonna have that not only from birth, but all the way through high school and into college. Like you should come to our church. I don't know how you could parent without having all this help around you. You should come to our church. If you hear that word, not prepared, boom, I'm gonna invite them to church. And then finally, If you ever hear someone say they're not going to church and you don't invite them to this church, I might jump out behind a bush and smack you. (laughs) I might do it. I might be there if I hear it. Like, listen, if you are asking people about, hey, where do you go to church? And they say, oh, we don't really go to church. And you don't say, you should come to our church. Something's wrong. You've not been here long. You don't know me well. You don't know what our mission is about yet. Perhaps I'll give you a pass. But it's time to like shift gears. If you hear people around you say, we're not going to church, your next statement is, you should go to our church. Our church is awesome. God will change your life. You should see what happens and how many people God is changing. And, and, and we, we preach the message uh, from the word of God. So, so it's going to be encouraging, but it's going to be challenging. It's going to make you sharper. And so, so this is, this is the, the three knots. When you begin to hear these in conversations, these are great ways to turn that conversation into a spiritual conversation, into an invitation to church. Now, here's the reality, though. We have to believe and we have to trust that what God wants in our life is better for us than what we think we need or want today. Because to get involved in God's mission requires a level of um, releasing a self-centeredness attitude and putting others first in your life. And so when you begin to do that, you are beginning to embrace God's best for you, like, like God's plan for you. You're beginning to embrace what God wants to do in your life and trusting him. And you're trusting less about what you want and what you think is important in your life. The reality is God calls us to do difficult things. Some of you are all about following God as long as it's easy. But the reality is nothing that God tells us to do is easy. Now, when we read the next few verses, we see what's even greater, like the the nation is beginning to repent. In verse six and following, let me read the rest of the chapter. It says, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe, his royal, comfortable, I'm in charge robe, and he covered himself with sackcloth, not very comfortable. And he sat in ashes, a way of showing humility and humbling himself before God. And he issued a proclamation 
and published through Nineveh. So he proclaimed this for the entire city. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let him not feed or drink water. He, they, he calls for a fast. Do not eat, don't even drink water. Now this is in the desert, extremely hot, 95, 100 degrees every day. Don't drink water. He calls them to this fast, even their animals. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. So God's person with God's message leads to life transformation, leads to lives being changed. This is the main point for today. If you don't get anything else, get that. Get this idea. When you go with God's message, lives are transformed. Not because of how good you are or how great you said it or because you have your marriage and your personal life all figured out and buttoned up and everything's great. No, he, he calls even reluctant followers to this, this powerful way of living and making disciples and when we do that, lives are transformed. They repent of their sin. They, they turn from their wicked ways and they turn to God. Now, when you realize the history of the Assyrians and how terrible they were and how they were terrorizing everybody around them, killing people and whatnot, all of these things, you look at that and you think, man, they weren't worthy of forgiveness. They weren't praying for revival. They weren't seeking after God. Can't believe God would do that after they did all that to the Israelite people. Here's the reality. You weren't praying for revival either. You weren't running after God either. And God sent somebody into your life to bring that message. Maybe it was a mom or a dad. Maybe it was a friend that invited you to church or poured into your life. There was somebody that invested into you because at, at one point you were an enemy of God. You were far from God. You were running from God and God sent out of love someone to you to share the gospel, to invite the church, to connect you with your Savior. Here's the reality. We can't be the, the, the dam that blocks up that flow of God's grace. We can't be the obstacle. May it never be true of our lives that, that we would just be selfish with God's grace and mercy. And yeah, I love it for myself, but I'm not willing to, to extend that grace to anyone else. Here's a good question to ponder. So we think about the people we're praying for this week and over the next few weeks for Easter. Think about it like this. If God answered every single one of your prayers in one fell swoop today, every single one of your prayers that you prayed last week in one fell swoop, would anybody be added to the kingdom of God? That is a sobering question. It is very easy to pray, God, give me, give me, give me, thank you, thank you, give me, have this, I need this. It's very easy to not even have a prayer life and call yourself a believer. And yet how can we, as followers of Jesus, embrace all this grace and not extend that, even in a prayer? How many people would be added to the kingdom if God answered your prayers today? See, my encouragement for you is that that list would grow 
and that you would be passionate just like God would pursue a lost child, just like a mom or dad would pursue a lost son or, or, or a daughter and, and, and want to seek them out and to find them. God is seeking those in and around your life to transform them and to change them. And God calls found children to go find lost children. And that message and that challenge is given to us. Like this is the joy of what it means to follow Christ. Now, some of you today perhaps are running from God. Perhaps if you were honest, you would say, I'm hearing all this, man, and the truth is I'm still running from God. But for whatever reasons, maybe it's been, you know, something that's been a burden for you. God's been speaking to you in, in, in the previous weeks, or, or maybe it's just today, like, like you know you need to stop running from God and start turning to God. And, and, and there is sin in your life that you need to turn from and you need to embrace God and, and you need to run with him and you need to embrace him today because you're lost, you're hopeless, you're running from God and you would just admit that. Well, the good news is, as I said earlier, God has given you another chance today to embrace his call and his salvation just for you. Let me ask you to bow your heads. As we conclude today with worship and I just want to... Is there anyone in the room that would admit, just by a show of hands, slipping their hand up and putting it back down, would anybody say, Trent, I'm running from God. I need to stop running and I'm ready to run with God today. Anybody at all, just slip their hand up and put it down. I see you, young lady. I see you, man. Anybody else? I'm running away. I'm ready to run with. Anybody else? That's me. I see you guys. Thank you, ma'am. Several hands all throughout. When you walked in today, you received a service guide. At the bottom of that is a little connect card. There's a little box there that says, I prayed to receive Jesus today. For those that just raised their hands that, that are ready to make this commitment, stop running away and start running with, I want to lead you in a prayer. You make this yours. You, you commit this to God today. I believe he'll save you. He'll come into your life. You can start a brand new journey with him. I would ask you to do me a favor. Check that box. Put it in the giving stations at the back, by the back doors before you leave so that I can know. I want to pray for you. I, I just want to lift you up. I want to encourage you. Do anything I can for you. Let me know that. If you're ready to turn to God, just simply pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I confess that I am a sinner. Say it to him. I believe in Jesus. He's the son of God. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins, Lord. Come into my life. Save me today. I'm tired of running away. And today I run to you. Help me to live for you for the rest of my life. Amen. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer, man, I believe wholeheartedly that God is changing your life even right now. We're going to end today with the song. And the message of the song is, I found freedom. And if you're a believer today, you have found freedom. And I want to encourage you to continue to run with God. And as you continue to run with Him, you experience more and more freedom. If you just prayed to receive Christ today, you're experiencing freedom on a whole nother level that you've never experienced before. 
I pray this song ministers to you, encourages you, becomes an anthem for our church because we, man, we have been broken by sin, but in Jesus Christ, we have found wholeness and freedom. Amen. Let me pray for you. God, I'm just praying specifically today for those in the room that just committed their life to you. God, bless them. I'm praying that you would supernaturally change them, Lord, as we know you can and will and do. I pray, God, that you'll make this decision real in their life. Lord, I'm, I'm praying that they walk out of here with a new attitude, with, with a new understanding of who you are. Bless them, Lord. God, as a church, Lord, we ask for forgiveness for not being as passionate as we should about the gospel and about making disciples and sharing our faith. God, forgive us. Grant us the grace to be more fervent and to be more mindful of the lost and the dying around our life and our families and our community. May we be a church that continually pursues your glory by the preaching of the gospel and by seeing men and women coming to a saving faith of your son, Jesus. And it's to him we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.